reading this morning is from Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Thank you, Anne, very much indeed. So we're exploring questions of hope, because we're saying we're a people of hope, and we live uh, with a gospel of hope, but there are lots of questions that sit around that hope. And today's question, why is there so much suffering? So this question that has no answer, why is there so much suffering? It's the most frequently raised objection to the Christian faith. If there is a God and if he is good, then why is there so much pain and heartache in the world today? It's a deeply personal question because for each of us, there will have been times in our lives when things have been incredibly difficult and we've cried out to God, why, why, why? And more important, there will be those here and now for whom this is a deeply relevant and challenging question. And that's why, in a way, I hesitate to talk about it. Because it's not quite the same kind of question as some of the others that we've been looking at in previous weeks. This is one that touches a little bit deeper. Suffering can be thought of on a global scale. We can think of national disasters, uh, earthquakes, famines, and floods. We can think of suffering in a community context that may be the consequence of a landslide, the collapse of a mine, an air disaster, a sinking ship, something that is particular to a group of people at that time. So we can think of it nationally. We can think of it in a community way. But what always hits so deeply is when it's suffering that is personal to us. And that individual suffering can take so many different forms, bereavement, sickness, broken relationships, depression, loneliness, poverty, unemployment, injustice, so many different things that are part of our day-to-day lives. And from time to time, one or other of those will be intensely deep and painful. And put together, the national, the community, and the personal, it gives us a picture of suffering on a massive scale. And yet we have a God who is all-powerful. We have a God who is all-loving, who is a fundamentally a God of hope. And that's our big theme for this year. We cannot journey through a year of thinking of hope without really addressing the fact that at times the way forward is very hard indeed. How can you make sense of this? I'm grateful for the teaching of Nicky Gumbel. Uh, he's most often thought of an alpha, and we're using some of the alpha material on Sunday evenings at the moment. But of course, Nicky Gumbel wrote 
uh, some other things, as well as uh, developing the Alpha Course. He wrote a book called Searching Issues, and his chapter on suffering I found particularly helpful. I'm just going to use three of, uh, of the thoughts that he presents in that chapter, as I share with you this morning. And these are not so much answers to the question, why is there so much suffering, as maybe some overlapping biblical insights that are all relevant. None of them give an answer, but they all speak into this situation in a relevant way. Here they are. The first is human freedom. That we have freedom to choose. There was no suffering in God's original created order. Genesis chapter 1. The world was amazing. And there will be no suffering when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 and 22. You take the beginning of the Bible and you take the end of the Bible. And you have a perfect world that God has created. And you have a perfect new heaven and a new earth. A tiny glimpse of life at each end without suffering. And then all the stuff in the middle is a different picture. Why? Well, in the book of Genesis, suffering entered in the world through Adam and Eve, the consequence of their sin. And at that point, life changed for everyone. The reality was that Adam and Eve had the power to make choices. And in their case, they made the wrong choice. And the beauty of the Garden of Eden was broken. You see, love is not love if it is forced. It can only be love if there is a real choice. And God has created us with real choice. He loves us deeply and he longs for us to love him. And to see his way. But it has to be our decision. And generally speaking in the world. Mankind has chosen a different way. Now some of the suffering that is around us today. We could say is a direct result of our own mistakes and sin. Not much of it. But some is. A far greater amount of suffering is the consequence of other people's sins. But perhaps the biggest amount of suffering is a consequence of the fact that we live in a fallen world. That the perfection of creation and of the new creation, the beginning and the end, is not how life is today. Today life is broken. Today we are in a fallen world. The greatest cause of suffering is the misuse of human freedom. And we have messed up hugely in this world. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the whole of creation groans in travail. Groans for something better. And we're part of that bigger creation. It doesn't give an answer to one person's circumstance or another's or why one person here is unwell or why someone here, has li has, uh, their life has been taken early. It doesn't give answers to those individual circumstances, but it sets them in a bigger context of a broken world. So I think human freedom 
is one aspect, one insight, if you like, to the whole of life which helps us to understand that we live in a fallen and suffering world. And another insight that we can bring alongside that is that God can use times of suffering. That it's not all doom and gloom. That when things are hard and when things do not go the way that we expect, there is a sense in which God can take that veil of suffering and draw across and we can see something else. It can be used to draw us to Christ, to bring us to a better place of spiritual understanding and maturity. Remember that uh, the book of Hebrews talks about Jesus and how he learned obedience from what he suffered. Also, Jesus himself used the picture of the vine and the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts, prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Peter, in his first letter, talks about the refining of faith through fire, which is understood to be those lessons that might be learned through hard times. And from our reading in Romans chapter 5, this uh, very powerful sequence that we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Another well-known author is uh, the late David Watson, who died of cancer at the age of 50. And he wrote these words shortly before his death. There is no doubt that millions of Christians all down through the centuries have become more Christ-like through suffering. I know many, know of many, who have an almost ethereal beauty about them, refined through pain. In fact, those who have experienced more of the love of God than anyone I have ever met have also endured more suffering. When you crush lavender, you find its full fragrance. When you squeeze an orange, you extract its sweet juice. In the same way, it's often through the pains and hurts that we develop the fragrance and the sweetness of Jesus in our lives. It's as if God is able to use something that he would never wish upon us, but is part of our fallen, broken world. But somehow God can use it, and somehow God can show us something else. The example of Joseph, of course, his brothers, who meant it for harm, but God intended it for good, is how Joseph finished up his story. Mark Clark, in his book, The Problem of God, which I'm finding particularly helpful in addressing these questions of hope, he tells a true story of a time when he was working in a church on the day of a funeral of a 16-year-old boy. And he was deeply disturbed by this incident. He actually couldn't cope being in the building when the funeral was taking place. He went out and walked around the town, crying out to God, why has this boy's life been cut short? What a waste. 
What awful suffering. He went into a coffee shop and sat in a daze. And soon after, someone else who attended the same church came in and sat next to him. And listened to Mark venting over this. What could possibly come out of such meaningless pain? And after listening for a while, the other person prayed for Mark. And then as he was about to leave, he said to Mark, by the way, did I ever tell you how I became a Christian? I was going down the wrong road. And God completely transformed my life. And it all started at the funeral of a 16-year-old boy, a friend of mine. Out of the greatest tragedy, something good can come. And Mark wrote in response, at that moment God peeled back the veil for a second and gave me a glimpse of the bigger story where good in different measure and in different ways can come from suffering. Even if from our human perspective, we don't always understand it because of our limitations. And then there's a third insight that kind of overlaps with the others. None of them are answers, but they're just pointers to the bigger picture of life. And the third insight is that God is involved in our suffering. And I think for me, this is the strongest insight from Scripture. It approaches the topic from a slightly different angle. Rather than just looking at us or others, it looks at God himself. God is not immune from suffering. He is deeply involved, especially at the cross. The utterly unique thing which Christianity reveals to the world is a suffering God. God may have not given us a perfect intellectual understanding of the mystery of suffering, but he has given us an awesome insight through the cross of Jesus into the sort of God he is. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. The sword which pierced the heart of Jesus when he died on the cross dug deep into the heart of God. He has not just suffered for us, he suffers with us now. And that's why Paul can write also in the words of our reading this rather strange phrase that we also glory in our sufferings. He'd just written about the great benefits of believing in Jesus. That therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've gained access to the grace in which we stand. We hope of the glory of God. These are the great blessings. It would be a very different sermon if I just spoke from verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 5. It just speaks out the great things that God has done. And then we go on to read, not only so, not only that, but we also glory in our sufferings. How can we possibly do that? The only way we can possibly do it 
is because we know that God is there too. And that he has suffered more deeply than anyone when Jesus gave his life for us on the cross.